Well, good morning, everyone. You might wonder why I have Mr. Potato Head over here. Are you wondering? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Somebody's wondering. I appreciate it as I'm wondering how to lift up my, uh, my uh, thing here, my iPad. Well, this morning, we're still going to be talking about all hands on deck. And so that this past week, we were, we were bringing to you our sermon series entitled All Hands on Deck. And we talked last week about the importance of our motivation for participation as we've been seeing around our campus how important it is for us to get started. We've been working together. Last week, as Pastor Dennis just showed that video of how we all came together, it did seem like it was normal last week, at least close to. We had 170 people on our campus last week. And I can see that you guys are really, really excited about that. Are you guys having problems clapping your hands this morning? Yeah. Let the people out Facebook at least see something they're missing because uh, you guys might be tired and you need some coffee and we have none to offer to you this morning. So I hope you got your coffee and ready to go because I had a little bit of my coffee and I'm ready to go. But also, we are doing with this capital campaign is we actually, as Pastor Dennis also mentioned too, is that we got some work going on in the worship center. So if you're out there, Facebook Live, if you can come out, we have a safe environment. We'd encourage you to come out and check it out because we're moving forward. And this moving forward campaign is all about us moving forward so that we can get ready for when it really, truly opens up. When we'll be able to get back to some sense of normalcy and be able to share not only as the continued message of the gospel, but encourage each one of us to move forward so that we can share the gospel with those around us, at our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our neighborhood stores. Wherever we go, we are the temple of God ready to reach those around us for the kingdom of God. We always have to be on mission. We are a missional church ready to go at any time. For the kingdom. So it's not just about here in this building in the four walls. And so as we're talking about um, the importance of that, of all hands on deck, this week we want to look at Romans 12 again, verses 3 through 8, and highlighting verse 9, but just going 3 through 8, and talking about distribution for contribution. We're talking about spiritual gifts and how we as believers, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that it's been, God has distributed to us spiritual gifts, grace gifts given by God, nothing we've earned, nothing we've done in and of ourselves, nothing even say we can gain and saying that it's been come from me naturally. It's God who's given us these gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we have them, we have to decide whether we're going to do something with them. Is it optional or a command? And if you are a believer and you don't even know that you have gifts, we would love to help you with that. Please see me, Pastor Dennis, or anyone on staff. We would love to talk to you about how you can find out about your spiritual gifts. And as we look at this passage, we have to also ask some questions prior to looking at the passage of understanding what does it mean to have gifts. So I have a question here for you. Why does having different gifts, different spiritual gifts, discourage unity. You might say, you're going to try to sit here and think about that because it may not come to your mind thinking, wait a minute, what does that mean, the question discourage unity? Well, let me just talk about it. When we're, when we're living in a society where 
our society is that we are created as a people who have different backgrounds and personalities. You can call it diversity. You can call it variety. However you want to call it, God created us different. And as a people who are different in our society, we have been distributed with different gifts from God. And so in our innate personalities, God given us these gifts, he's given them to us. And we have to understand that sometimes we as a people of God think that according to the scriptures, there might be some superior gifts versus some inferior gifts. That may be that those who are in front of are more superior than those who are behind the scenes who can tend to be inferior because no one sees what they're doing. For instance, the president of the United States, as he walks around and he is the face of the United States, he is the person, the most powerful man in this world, according to all people would say that. But behind the scenes, there are many people on a team working very hard to giving the messaging that he needs to keep him going from one activity or one event to the next. And he has many different topics and subjects that he's to talk about. And so he has all these team players working together, different players in different spaces and different parts. They're using their gifts to help the president. It can be in a school of a principal. It can be in a, pre a president of a company. It can be a manager, a supervisor. It can be in any setting. It can be in a home. We all have different gifts we all have now even different spiritual gifts. But what happens is sometimes in being different, it can discourage unity because we then think superior is better than inferior. So it's better to be up in front. So if someone has a gift who's to be up front, we think, oh, I wish I could be that person up front so everybody can recognize me. Let me give you kind of an example. So just say I, although I don't have this gift, have a specific gift called the gift of helps in the scripture or mercy. As some of you know, I probably am not always the most merciful person, but I have different gifts, and I can. But just say I had this hypothetically, and I may receive some multiple praises from other believers. Wow, Bruno, you are awesome. I can't believe how helpful you were. I have never seen anyone that's so awesome like you and all the spiritual gifting of helps in all my life. And I'm 85 years old and I've never seen it in my life. I'm all, oh, thank you. So over and over I'm going in and all, all this person's doing is feeding my ego. And then I start to unintentionally believe that I have these gifts and that I can start working on those gifts and I can start proclaiming those gifts. Then you have Antonio on the other side where Antonio, he's got the gift of contributing generously, as we'll see in Romans chapter 12. And no one really knows that he's doing that. And so he sees all that praise, and he's like, wow, I wish I could be like Bruno, who gets all that praise. Wow, you know, and then he gets envious and jealous. And then all of a sudden, he starts to get a little angry and starts to be discouraged and saying, God, what about me? What about me? So then he goes over and goes, boy, am I so glad that we made this just offer this, this donation, this considerable donation to help towards the campaign. So glad we're able to do that. And someone goes, oh, well, what are you talking about? Well, just glad my wife and I sat down and we prayed about it. And we wanted to make sure that we wanted to help this church to get updated and build the building. So we gave this really considerable donation. And now they start to get just a little bit of praise. 
And so some of that can happen in circles. Some of that we start to kind of swing in these statements, which doesn't really promote unity. It actually promotes disunity because then internally we're saying, I have this gift, look at me. I have this gift, look at me. We're going to see in this passage that it may be different. Now, here's another question. Why is it that or why is it easier to be unified with those who are most like us? Now, there's nothing wrong or intrinsically wrong with hanging out with people who have likes like you. Same likes, common likes. It's cool to hang out with couples who have children the same age. They can connect. But thinking about the same is not a bad thing. But often what we do is we gravitate toward that in our flesh to go towards people who have common likes like us and what we do is we come together and we hang out together and then we only have those people on our radar we're laser focused we look for people who are like us but does change really happen i mean we don't think about we think of different as being not something helpful or we think of different as too much work if i start hanging out with someone who's different it would create too much on my schedule so I'll just go to someone that does things like me. And then what happens is we don't focus on that. We don't put our laser focus on reaching out. When was the last time you reached out to someone who was different? When was the last time that you reached out to someone who was not like you? You maybe asked them out for lunch or breakfast or a cup of coffee. When was the last time you tried to hang out and intentionally tried to reach out? Now, why am I sharing all of this? Because in the Bible, I don't think it... Jesus was doing that. I don't think Jesus was going around looking for people who were like him. He looked at outcasts. He looked at uneducated fishermen. He looked at people who were less fortunate. He didn't look for people who were like him. He wanted to reach out to all people, even people who were different. Even in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's that storyline when the unlike son, un, unlike person or unsung hero that came out the one you would not likely to choose to come out and help that person who was beaten up. But that was what was shared and what is shared in the scriptures, where compassion and mercy comes to those who are different. It's not to people who are always the same. And so as a church, if we're the agent to reach the loss and we need to work together with our spiritual gifts to the glory of God, and God has distributed these to bring not only to his glory, but to benefit the body of Christ coming together in harmony, in unity. And then if we are to do that, then it's the Holy Spirit that has distributed these gifts to us, the third person of the Trinity. And we need to embrace God's mission to reach those who are lost. But in order to reach those who are lost, I've said this so many times, in order to evangelize, I mean, in order to disciple, we have to evangelize. If discipleship is the purpose of the church, we got to reach those who are different. Can't keep hanging out with the disciples. And we got to motivate our disciples to reach those who are far away from God, who are different from us. And so in the book of Romans, as we look at it, we're looking at the first 11 chapters as we're looking at chapter 12. The first 11 chapters highlight theology proper, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And what we see in the first 11 chapters, we see that we talk about grace. We see mercy. We see righteousness. We see sin. 
In fact, righteousness and grace and mercy and grace and mercy would not be so important if we didn't know that we were sinners and that God saved us from our sin position. And then we would know about justification and sanctification and glorification and Israel and the Gentiles and how important it was that God grafted us in. So we who are Gentile people are still different, diverse, with diverse gifts. And so this First 11 chapters of proper theology goes into the last section, section 2 of 12 through 16 in Romans is practical theology, how we place our theology in practice. So we talked last week again in the first two verses about having the motivation to participate. Now we're going to talk about distribution or contribution. So how do we contribute with these spiritual gifts? So we have to come to that place and understanding that using our grace gifts in the body of Christ requires something. And as verses 3 through 8, we hope to see it requires a couple of things. The first thing is that it requires humility. So with these grace gifts that God has distributed through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to come with humility. Look with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, as we look at this passage. And there's a lot in this passage, so we're going to kind of unpack it a bit. And it says this, for by the grace of given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So let's start at the word for, because the word for is important there, but it's two words there in the Greek. Now, when you look at a Greek sentence, you have to understand that the first part of the sentence is what it's the emphatic position. So that which is at the beginning is important to know. Now, when you're looking at this in the English, it says, for by the grace given to me, I say. But actually in the Greek, I say is at the beginning of the verse and at the sentence. So why is that important? Well, in the emphatic, what Paul is saying is that I'm not saying this because it's good advice. I'm not saying this because I want, you to make, I want to make you feel good right now. Uh, I'm not offering that to you, that as the apostle given by, by God the authority to speak on behalf of God by the grace that has been given to me, I now say something which is not optional. Just as the first part of it, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we saw how it built and, asked and just and built up into not just simply an infinitive to the indicative, but then it goes into the imperative. So now it's no longer an option. What Paul's saying, in authority that I have as an apostle, you got to hear what I'm about to say and the grace that's been given to me. And the grace that's been given to him is an heiress passive, which means an event that occurred in which God superintends still in his salvation. So the event that occurred in the person and work of Jesus Christ and salvation that's been given to us, God is now superintending through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit that's been instilled in us and permanently dwelling in us has now given us these gifts, grace gifts, for the purpose of contributing, which is not optional. So now we have to ask the question, how come it's not good advice or an opinion from Paul, but how come American evangelicalism seems to be optional today? Well, if you have some time and you're not doing anything else and your schedule's not too busy and you're not having any of your hobbies and you're not doing anything, you want to come and join us over here at church? (laughs) You want to come and do the ministry here? Sometimes we present it as optional, but the scriptures seem to lean toward a command 
and that it's necessary. In fact, we're going to see that in the language. I'm not making this up. We see this in the language that's being highlighted here because then Paul goes on and he goes, by the grace given to me and the authority that I have, I say to everyone, each, in the Greek is each and all, so each person individually and all collectively as corporately. So each and every one, all, in the word means that everyone is included. So not one is picked out different from the other. So we have that. We have the same God, and we all have the same command. It's not optional. And so when we see, he says, everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Stop there a second. Because thinking is three words here. Think, think, think. Interesting that what Paul's saying about think doesn't just start with the mind. It goes to the heart. Interesting that verse 2 talks about being transformed in the renewal of your mind. So think, think, think. He's saying do not think highly of yourself. The word highly in the Greek simply means to be haughty. To think of yourself greater than the next person. To place yourself more higher than the other person. To be more superior. In fact, we know that we can tend to do that unintentionally in our flesh. We can think our agenda, our needs are more important than someone else's needs. Just get married and you will find out. Because when you're married and your spouses are arguing, what are you arguing over? Whose need is more important than the other person's need? I mean, that's the main focus. Because what you happen, I, I hope you guys can laugh along with me because if you're married, you know that. But if you have some friends or family or someone close to you, you know it starts to be the argument, the contention, the clashes, the brawls that happen. But also in sibling rivalries, the same thing. When kids are saying, mommy, 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 I want this. And the other one goes, well, you don't care about me anymore because that one gets it all the time. It's always she, 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 not me, me, me. And there's a fight back and forth because... It's that superiority. It's that highly thinking of ourselves better than the next person. And so when you go into this sense of contention, he's saying, don't think like that. Be humble. In fact, he said, he said, you ought not to. And the word ought in the Greek means to be, it is necessary that you don't think that way. Meaning almost as of a command. It's called the divine day, which it's the verb day because it's a necessary thing not to do. So now you have this word, and now it's saying, think, again, think, meaning to have an opinion with regard to something. Think, form, hold, an opinion, or judge. And then he goes on to say, he says, think, but to think with sober judgment. So you ought to think, to not think yourself highly, but with sober judgment. The word sober means to be prudent, with focus of self-control. Reasonable, sensible, serious, keep one's head. So in other words, don't think higher than yourself. Get a little self-control. Don't put yourself above the other person. But let me go in a little further. Sometimes we can put our needs and our agenda above God's agendas. The mission of the gospel. That's why it's not optional. Because that mission should be in front of us every day. It's not an option. It's not whenever we have time. It's not American evangelicalism. It's a command from the scriptures that we need to stand firm and to make sure that we move forward prudently and focusing self-control, saying, Lord, I need to be reasonable and sensible. In fact, this word gets what we get from the word of sound doctrine, the word sound. 
And so we are sensible in keeping one's head because it goes back to being transformed to the renewal of the mind. So we have to have a proper, sensible, and realistic estimate of oneself, not thinking we're better than anyone else. That's what Paul is saying here, because the grace given to us reminds us that we're not more superior, right? So if the grace that's given us keeps us in line to saying that God is good, he's faithful, he's true, he's God, he's perfect, we're imperfect, and we have no way to get to heaven outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ, outside of the sacrifice that he made. But if we would remember that and be focused on that, we wouldn't be fighting over who's better than the next person. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, all of us together in the body of Christ. And so it's important to see. Then he says, he's, God has distributed these gifts. God, which is God who's doing, he's saying, he goes, for each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, God has distributed, giving a measure of faith, meaning each one of us has a gift to the measure of faith that he's given us, an amount of a gift, but a gift given to you and I that we gravitate towards, and that's what we'll talk about, a spiritual gift. Yes, young people, you have a spiritual gift, but you have to decide, what is my gift? How can I find out, and what can I use? Not only one gift, but it could be many, but you don't just focus on that one gift that you gravitate toward. It's one that you would, but you also look to the other gifts if it's possible to use some of those as well, and so all of that to say is that Paul is trying to highlight unity and coming together. But the grace is what we have to understand because even Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Even though I know I have this grace, even though I know I have these gifts, I'm working harder, more diligent. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Meaning he surrendered himself and allowed the grace of God to work in him. Whether that then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Meaning he goes, listen, we just got to preach the gospel. It's not about me. It's not about whether I have better gifts than the next person. It's not envy and, 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 and jealousy and anger. It's about using your gifts for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And so it's humility laid out. Two, we use our grace gifts in the body of Christ, and it requires for harmony's sake, harmony. It's a harmony that comes together. If you look at Romans chapter 12, 4 through 6, it's quite simple. It says, for as one body, we have many members. So one body, many members who are different. And the members do not have the same function. We're different. So we, though many, are in one in body in Christ, and individual members one of another. Having gifts that are differ according to the grace given to us, again, like in verse 3, let us use them, which is not even in the Greek. It's implied. Let us use them, contribute, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So I've got Mr. Potato Head here because Mr. Potato Head's going to help me to figure out like what there is a parallel verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 26 that talks about the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears. And it talks about all the different parts of the body and how each one functions differently. That one can't not, the feet can't be like the hands or the, hand, or the eye can't be like the ear and the ear can't be like the nose. All of that laid out. And we see that in that passage, it's, it's quite clear there's unity. So I don't know how many of you used to play this, but I kind of built a, uh, an angry woman or an angry mom or an angry wife who said, you know what, I'm tired of you, I'm going shopping, 
I'm going to go and spend all your money. So she gets her purse out, sticks her, her, her tongue out and says, I'm Audi. I'm going to spend all your money because they just had an argument. So you can change any face you want. Uh, we're just having some fun. But just say she took out her tongue and you're like, okay, she seems a little happy. There's a little smile there. But now she still has her eyes. She has no mouth. She has an ear, uh, nose, I mean, and then she has her hands. But if you take one hand away, then you know then she's unbalanced. It's not complete. And then she can't have this hat anymore, and then she has no hair. So then she has to take one ear. All of a sudden, you got one ear, a pair of eyes, and you got a nose and hand. But each one functions differently. And each one doesn't function the same. And the same is not good in this case. You have to have different that works differently to make the whole. So you need all your hands in order to function. You put the hat on because it's a beautiful hat. You put the purse there because they're just used to running out with their purse. And then you just kind of stick the, stick the tongue out a little bit to have some fun, and you put the ear back in. So all of that to say is that you have it complete. Now, now it's a complete face with the body and all. Because functioning, you can't. You can't have it all you got to have different parts working together for a whole. And it's real simple. I know it's a simple little corny visual, but the idea is that with the body, it's quite clear because Paul was highlighting this. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said each he was highlighting three things. Each member is equal part and body. That is, there's no in insignificant, unimportant, or inconsequential member of the body. There's no superiority or inferiority. There's all of us with different hands. We have all functions. We all play a part in the body. We have ears. We have noses. We have mouths. We have hands. Also, each part of the body has a distinctive function. We have to recognize this. We don't have to be upset if someone else has one function. You don't have that function. We don't question God. We don't start doubting God. We don't start getting discouraged towards God. The one, and here's the third thing, the one body has many parts is God's plan. So the one body with many parts, the being different is all part of God's plan. It's not all about being the same. It's not about being envious and jealous that the other person has something you wish you had. God, because this is what happens, disunity happens when this envy and this jealousy and this anger starts kicking in. That's when it, we start to build up counterfeit gifts. We try to become like someone else, and God never intended. What you're doing, and what I'm doing, is we're saying we have no value to God when we have much value to God. And so all of that to say is that our spiritual gifts come together for a purpose, just like food. You need your nose, you know, when you smell that food. When my wife makes an amazing meal, which she did for my birthday the other day, it was like, wow, I smelled it. Oh. Gosh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into it, my mouth, and my eyes see it being placed on a plate with the sauce that she made over those homemade raviolis. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, oh, my goodness. And I get so excited, and then my ear hears everything cooking. And then all of a sudden, it's like, gosh, man, I'm hungry right now just talking about this. But the whole idea is that all of my senses are working together. If you take my eyes out, I'm not going to see the beauty of the plate take my smell out. I can't smell how incredible it is before I sink my teeth in it. And I know I need that taste buds to work. It works at a level where it's like, wow. But it all incorporates and comes together because all these different senses and functioning brings one amazing taste 
that I fall in love with. And I had so many, I'll be embarrassed to tell you how many I had. Because what the kids didn't eat, I made sure I ate. Because the whole idea was that, and you can tell because I probably added a couple of pounds. Because the whole idea is that we have fun knowing that we're different but the same. And we have the same God. Real quick, another analogy, too, in the context of body parts, uh, surgeons, when they do body part transplants, surgeons need to know how much time they have to use a body part before it starts to deteriorate if it's not kept on ice. A finger or toe, 12 hours. An arm, 6 hours. Ears, 1 day. Nose, 1 day. It means you've got to hang on one more day to listen. Foot, foot, 6 hours. We lose body parts every day. We, our skin sheds, our hair is trimmed or falling out, fingernails grow, toenails grow, but what happens in these parts? They're attached to the body. That's what keeps them alive. A kidney is a kidney, but if it's not, when it's attached to the body, it's in good use and function, but outside of the body, if it's removed, it's just a kidney. But when a kidney is connected to the body, it's used to monitor blood and body fluids, keeping your blood clean and healthy. So you need your kidney, your heart, your organs, your vital organs. And it's got to be connected to the body. If it's not, it's not alive and working and essential and effective. Same thing as a Christian. If we're Christians, we can just be Christians. But if we're not connected with the body, in the body of Christ, then we're really not being at our best. We're not being effective and essential for what God has intended us to be. That's why he distributed us gifts so that we can distribute them to benefit the body of Christ, to be in the body, in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, working. That's where harmony really, truly happens. And see, that's why when he even highlights the, the gift of prophecy, he's talking about prophecy because it's necessary. At that time in the first century, although prior to the New Testament coming to become canon and its written form, we recognize that revelation was presented to the, to the house churches, to the congregations of that time. And when a revelation was mentioned, prophets would come around together to talk about it and to make sure being accountable that it coincided with the doctrine that the apostles were teaching. And like in the Old Testament, a prophet spoke, he spoke. He spoke, thus saith the Lord. And if he didn't speak, if he tried to be independent, he would be killed. Just like the prophet of the first century, you can't be independent, you have to be in the body. And that's a gift that the Spirit of God has given for the sake of what? In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, for edification, for exhortation, to help people come together in unity and harmony. So that was the purpose of it. Today, I, I believe that today we have the revelation necessary. Anything beyond that is accursed. But in that revelation that it's not predictive anymore, it's proclaimed. So if we would say anything as a prophet, although I don't believe there's an office anymore, a prophet might speak in proclamation, similar to what is preaching of the word of God or proclaiming of the gospel. You speak with boldness and courage. And that's where the spirit moves. Lastly, the thing that it requires for us when our grace gifts to the body of Christ is heart. We need to have a heart, a passion, an excitement, a zeal, an eagerness to, to be able to use for the kingdom of God. And these gifts God's given us, we need to be willing to contribute. So some of them are listed here in verses 7 and 8. And then I'll just let go of 9. But in 7 and 8 it says, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in his generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, with passion, with eager, 
to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, when you look at all of these, you see service. It's the word deacon. It's administrative. It's one who helps, attend to, aid. Someone who gravitates towards that. Teaching. Providing informal or informal instruction. Uh, uh, just a, a use of the, t- of the gifting that God has given his people of God, not just pastors, but the people of God. Exhortation, act of emboldening another in belief or course of action, encouragement. That's, these are one of my high gifts. Contributes or contributes to um, generosity, shares, gives, and imparts generously. This person is always willing to give no matter what. The other spouse is saying, hide her money, hide her money. She's always willing to give the money. Or him, he's always willing to give out the money. Leadership is exercising a position of leadership, direct, overseer, manager. But the zeal is earnest commitment and discharge of an obligation or experience of a relationship. So it's eagerness. And mercy and cheerfulness is compassion, pity, mercy. So when a person is hurting emotionally, mentally, or physically, this person needs a person of mercy and acts of service, not an exhortation. (laughs) You don't need someone to come and say, come on, man, get with it, man. What's wrong with you? Get over it. Suck it up, dude. You got to move forward. That's not what that person needs at that time. What that person needs is a person who's going to have some mercy. Now, I have exhortation. doesn't mean I'm not... I don't have mercy, but mercy may be behind exhortation a couple of steps below. But here's the thing, though. In that situation, I take off exhortation saying, let me be merciful. But not always, because exhortation is something I gravitate toward. Coach, leader, pastor. But here's the thing. You may have a person struggling financially. That would need a person who contributes generously with money. But you may also need a leader who can help in finances to help them budget and manage their budget so they won't keep doing this over and over and over. They might have some issues where they're not spending well. Or when you have a person who's not a planner or procrastinator, this person needs a leader, an encourager, an exhorter, and a person of mercy because that poor man who has to deal with a leader and then also an exhorter needs someone who's going to have some mercy to help him him or her to get along the, the, the trail, the journey. But when you have a person who's struggling and growing in faith, you might need someone who teaches. And helps them with zeal. So it's not just information. It's transformation. See, all of this is that we all play a part of this. All of this is that we all play a part of the body of Christ. Each one of us are given gifts for the purpose of using these gifts. Some may be didactic. Some may be holistic. But whatever the case, we find those gifts. And we can help you to find those gifts. And when you use those gifts, you use them for the glory of God to benefit the body. Not to benefit oneself. Not to think highly of ourselves, not to be superior or inferior and go the other direction. But we work on using our gifts. And this example is similar to the Trinity. And that's why we have to understand that we are part of the body of Christ. When you've come to faith in Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. And we have to play a part of it in the work of Christ. So we are part of the body of Christ. We play a part in the work of Christ. And that's contributing so that we can have a part of the kingdom of Christ. And who is it for? For what? For what sake? It's for all for the glory, God's glory and our good. It's so important for us to gather and connect that. Because just even in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, verses 4 through 7, it says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. 
There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. All and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you have the Trinity located there. One God, three persons, distinct roles in harmonious unity for the purpose of what? To bring glory to God. That's why we have our gifts. That's why God distributed them so we can contribute to the body of Christ, to his glory. And that's why it's all about all hands on deck. We're not going to be able to move forward in the midst of a pandemic. We're not going to be able to move forward as the kingdom of God unless everybody goes all hands on deck, helping in children's, helping in youth, helping in fit, helping in all the areas in our ministry, getting involved in a life group, getting involved in discipleship, getting involved in moving us forward. The pastors, the pastoral team can't do it all. We're just four men. We can't do it all. We can't expect the staff to do it all. We all have to come together, but we create environments. And you guys come together for the building up and the edifying of the church. And we need everybody, all hands on deck, to come together to use your gifts. And we can talk about that and move forward for the kingdom of God. And so we want to encourage you to think on that. And as we move forward, it's all for that because the Trinity in its harmonious unity, Jesus himself played that part so well. He died on the cross for sin. He was willing to die a brutal death, mangled, killed, spit upon, all for you and I for sin, so that we could play part in this salvation, this great salvation. But as we come to communion, that's what we remember. In communion, we are reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We're reminded of the shed blood that gives us the forgiveness of sin, and that by the shed blood, we have that redemption of salvation. And we reflect on it. And as we reflect on it today, as we play part in communion to be re reminded of it, we reflect. Now, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or trusted in Christ, we want to encourage you to remain where you are. Don't come up. Don't take, come up or take any of the elements here on the tables. We want you to stay where you are. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me or Pastor Dennis. We would love to share with you this wonderful gospel message so that you could come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want you to stay where you are. But for those who are a part of the body, this is family business, we want you to come join. If you're out there on Facebook, please grab a piece of a cracker and some juice if you have it and join us. We want to encourage you to join us. And as you do, reflect on the goodness of God that he's offered us this amazing gospel, this amazing message that he, he was willing to die, a substitutionary atonement, perfect for you and I, his body and his blood representing the hope of salvation.